Welcome to the American Meteorological Society's podcast series, Clear Skies Ahead, conversations about careers in meteorology and beyond. I'm Kelly Savoy, and I'm here with Rex Herbst Warner, and we'll be your hosts. We're excited to give you the opportunity to step into the shoes of an expert working in weather, water, and climate sciences. We are happy to introduce today's guest, Irene Sands, an editorial manager and meteorologist at Weather and Radar in Miami, Florida. Welcome, Irene. Thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you so much. A pleasure to be here with you guys. Irene, could you tell us a little bit about your educational background and what sparked your interest in meteorology? Well, it came young. I think I was, if you ask a dear friend of mine, (laughs) Sandra, she'll tell you that um, I used to always talk about being a meteorologist in middle school. Um, I remember more clearly in high school, but if she remembers it, it's because I used to talk about it. So, hey, (laughs) Um, and I I always liked science and math. I I always found myself being very good at those subjects. So a little bit of a math nerd and science nerd. I would always pick science classes as my alternatives or the extracurricular activities that we had to do within the school. And math, just because I I didn't want to play golf, so (laughs) (laughs) I went for math. (laughs) So it's too hot in Florida to be playing golf outside. So, (laughs) So... so I just, I focused on those two subjects and then everything just fell so easily after that. In high school, I used to TA for Miss Pity. That's her name. And she went to FSU. So she's like, oh, you know, have you thought about, you know, what you, where you want to go to school? I'm like, well, I want to go to college and a university. I just don't know how, where. I wasn't born in the U.S., so I didn't have this clear path of, okay, this is what you do in every step of your year. Um, my dad did go to school here in the U.S. under a, a scholarship back in the day, but I didn't grow up over here, at least the first 10 years of my life. So Miss Biddy was a, a, a foundation of that because she was the one that told me, OK, go to FSU, you know, the, the FSU Pride, Seminole Pride. So I'm like, OK, I'll go there. I'll apply there. And I knew that I wanted to go to for school for meteorology. When I started looking more into the schools and everything, well, UM in South Florida, it's private, so that's out of the question. So I applied to FSU. That's the only school that I'd applied to. That's the school that I got accepted to, and that's the school that I went to. And just, you know, from there on, it was meteorology. Wow. So that's great that you had a little bit of a mentor to help guide you through that. And, and you know, she knew you were interested in math and science. And FSU is like a perfect school for meteorology. Yeah, I wanted to do tropical meteorology. I mean, I didn't, it, it's just, it's so weird because everything just felt so easy in, in my, in the guidance, in the path that I took without even like, I know I, I'm very lucky to have that. I'm very, very lucky to just, not have that stressful moment that, you know, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Who's going to not even realizing that I, perhaps some people have not, not that guidance, you know? So I've been very blessed since the beginning. We just recorded another episode with someone else that went to Florida State University and they also enjoyed their experience. They went on to do a PhD program there. So they found it to be a very vibrant hub for folks interested in meteorology, and they also found that it being a public school was very important to them as well. 
So you mentioned in high school, you were looking at electives in science. What about in into college, uh, while you were in school, were there any other extracurricular opportunities that you were taking on or after graduation into your early career that you felt were beneficial to helping you find what your meteorology job was that you wanted? Then I'm going to throw in a bonus question. So in high school, you probably had an idea of what a meteorologist was. Did that evolve as you went into college and as you learned more about the field? And did that evolution, if it happened, affect how you kind of followed your career path? Well, you know what? Now that you ask it that way, in high school, I took Spanish class. Um, Obviously, I was bilingual, so um, I probably could have been taking another language, but I figured, hey, I know English and Spanish. I think I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) No more. (laughs) So I took Spanish class in, in high school and a more advanced Spanish marketing class in college. And I think that, again, looking back at it now, I think that that was that created the foundation to keep my language skills in Spanish, right? That the language, Spanish language, up without even realizing that that's what's going to be my main language that I would work in. So at home, my mom always told us, we're going to speak Spanish at home. You'll learn English in school with your friends, but at home, it's always going to be in Spanish. And I think that's something that I apply with my daughter now when she knows Spanish and she's, you know, she's very fluent. They're two and a half years old with her vocabulary. It's surprising. And and I think it works well. You know, it might not work for everybody, but it works well for, for my husband and I. And well, in high school, I took those Spanish classes in, in college too. I went into college knowing that I wanted to do meteorology. What first sparked my interest in meteorology was watching Joe Morales on TV. Don't tell him this, because every time I tell this story, he's like, oh, you're calling me old. Okay, <laughs> this one it is, right? <laughs> so, and then I saw him, he was covering, the, I guess it was a typical severe weather here in Florida in the afternoons in the summertime. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool, the radar. Oh, yeah. And it just came so natural to me, just not that I understood the radar fully at that point, and I guess middle school at this point. But I'm like, okay, that's really interesting. I like the images. You know, I like the the radar images. I I like what he's talking about. I mean, and I would look outside and see that dark cloud and I'm like, oh, okay, so that's that. (laughs) So he's been a big mentor in my my career as well. And I have been working with his um, consulting firm also for, for, wow, I think a decade now. So, I mean, I had the, the pleasure of having him as my visual like goal in a way not because he was on tv but just because he was talking about the science and also now working with him so again very blessed and um in college i i didn't know what i wanted to do i didn't know if i wanted to to do tv or to to go more into the academic field or i don't know private sector all i knew is that meteorology had a huge field. I mean, I could work with insurance firms. I can work with airlines. I can work on TV. I can work with the government. I can work with, I can continue my schooling and go to, you know, become a professor or whatever. So I'm like, okay, that's good. And and hey, weather's always happening. So there's always going to be a need for it. So that's job exactly. security right there, right? That was like my 
my motto, like, okay, I'm always going to have some sort of job because weather's happening. So that's what I wanted in life. And then came a broadcasting course in FSU. And then came the, the FSU weather show where Miss um, Dr. Aquas was telling us, oh, okay, well, we had the, we would do the weather segments in on air, on live TV. There used to be, I think, a half hour weather show every day. We would produce it. We, were, we would make our own graphics. We would forecast. It was a great experience. And Dr. Aquas was like, well, you know, do it in Spanish because we need Spanish-speaking meteorologists. The more I did research on that, I found out that in the U.S. at that time, it was John and Eduardo and, you know, a handful of other people, not even a handful at one point, you know. So I'm like, wow, that's, you know, talk about job security, talk about having some sort of stability and being one of the few, right? Because I think ultimately that's whatever you do, you want, you want to be one of the few that are good at something or that specialized in something. That way you have more job security. So I did that and it worked out better because when you're starting out, I mean, my nerves were oh, crazy. <laughs> I would used to get so nervous on camera. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it in Spanish. That way nobody understands what I'm saying. And I'll be fine. <laughs> All that would criticize me always was just, you know, you're talking too fast, which is true. You know, I still do. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I, got, I moved into broadcast and then I'm like, well, I don't know if, you know, if I wanted to do broadcast. My junior year came around and I didn't have an internship anywhere. It was maybe... As I entered my junior, my, well, May, my sophomore year, I was entering my junior year. And I, I, I used to always work um, while in college. At one point, I had like four jobs, not meteorology related, just, you know, survival related. <laughs> and, um, and I think that's what delayed me into getting a scholarship just because, you know, time just went by so fast. It goes fast when you're having fun too, right? So <laughs> it just, it happened. And... May 2007 came around and I was supposed to get an internship with the emergency management in Florida. Just because, I, again, I had met some, uh, a major in the army at the restaurant that I was working at and he used to work for FEMA in Tallahassee. So he's like, oh, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm becoming a meteorologist. He's like, oh, you know, we have a state meteorology and, and I think they're looking for interns. I'm like, okay. That's great. So I applied and I was supposed to get in. But the guy that had the internship before me decided to stay for an extension of his internship. And we're friends now. And, and um, he stayed. So I had no internship at that point. So it was May, the year before I graduated, a year, I had a year left in school. And I, I didn't know what to do. I'm like, oh, my God, my life is destroyed. I fought, I fought all these years for, you know, to become a meteorologist, to have job security. And now I'm going to graduate with no internship. My life is just going to end right here and the world's going to end, right? So I drove down to South Florida and I got in contact with John. That was the first time I contacted John about being a meteorologist. So I saw him and he still tells me until this day, like, oh my God, why did you wait this long, right? So <laughs> I waited from middle school to my, almost <laughs> my last year in college to contact John. 
okay, do you ever think that you that this guy is gonna answer? Like, you know, he's, he was like, he's the legend over here. Why would he pay attention to a little middle school or high school or even college, you know? Well, he's such a great guy. I'm sure he responded. He did, he did. <laughs> I, you know, I could be working with him for the last, I don't know, 20 years now. Here I'm, I'm only with 10. <laughs> so he responded and he invited me to the station. I met the bosses at the station, everybody. They, at that point, it was too late for an internship, but I had already contacted also the other news director in the Univision station in South Florida. Again, I go in and the lady's like, Miss Silva says, you know, we have no Spanish-speaking meteorologist and you're great. And, you know, yeah, just come in. Your, your internship starts in June. I'm like, what? Uh, awesome. And it was a paid internship. So it was like, great. <laughs> so I did the internship. By August, they had put me in the morning show, in the morning to cover for the weather personality at the time to do the weather in Spanish in Miami. And I'm like, whoa, like th this is moving really fast. So I did that in the, then the December came around, winter break came around. They also told me to come down so I can cover her vacation. So I did that. And then February comes around and now the Telemundo station here wanted me to do weekend weather for them while I was doing my last six months in school. I said, yeah. And I did, and I, and I finished uh, my, my internship there with them, my internship freelancing gig at this point. By this point, um, I was applying everywhere because I didn't know if it was going to last. I, they weren't sure if they were going to hire like, somebody with, I don't know, either more experience or I didn't know if I wanted to stay in South Florida because I also knew that I wanted to maybe go somewhere else. And, and explore because that's the time that, you know, I think that you should do it when you're young and, you know, you have no, no, no major commitments. Yes. Major commitments. And, you know, you, you're young, you, have, you don't have kids or, you know, you're not married or if you are, you know, your spouse can come with you. And it's just like, this is time to do it. So I started applying everywhere, everywhere. I sent over a hundred DVDs at the point. So not quite tapes. Hey. <laughs> and um, I, I heard back from a few of them, but I did notice that there was like, oh, yeah, you want to do weather? Just, yeah, yeah, we're hiring a weather girl. And it's like kind of like, oh, it was discouraging to just always hear that the weather girl terminology. Even though I was starting, it would get me excited to get a call back, but it was just so, in a way, a little bit demeaning. Just, oh, yeah, yeah, you, we're looking for somebody to do weather. It's like, okay, like, you're looking for a meteorologist? Oh, yeah, for weather. It's like, oh, you're looking for meteorologists, right? <laughs> like a real scientist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I decided to, I, I got a job as soon as I graduated with WSI in Boston. So I moved to Boston for two years. I did that. And, and I think that was the best decision that I could have made at the time. I, I worked what I call the weather factory for two years. So it was two years of doing, oh, at one point it was probably like over a dozen weather segments a day, just for different stations across the US and in Europe and Al Jazeera. We would write, we would do radio, we would record on camera segments. So it was great. It was, you know, I had the opportunity to polish my presentations there, something that perhaps I wasn't going to be able to do working in South Florida, because if I would have been working just on the weekends, perhaps they were just going to put me on the weekends. And it's just, it, it was just a big first fish, which is fine to have a great opportunity at the beginning. But I don't know, I think 
being able to, to polish my skills and polish my, my, my knowledge of the U.S. a little bit better and just different, you know, different experience helped me more in the future. So I did that. And um, two years after Boston, it was too cold. There was too much snow. And this Florida girl wanted to be back. So <laughs> I went back to Florida. And then that's, that's when I guess my career in the broadcast, that's when it really took off. But you know what? I missed something before graduating while I was doing the summer internship and graduation. I also did work with emergency management. So I was able to get my internship with them in between all the gigs. <laughs> so that was a great experience, too, because that gave me the knowledge of first responders, emergency management. We we got activated for the wildfires in 2008. And that was such an experience that to be able to brief officials, to know what goes on behind the scenes, because as broadcast meteorologists, we know what's going on in the newsroom, but we don't really, I don't think a lot of people know what's really, really going behind the scenes as an emergency management and why they think they do how they do and what they do things a certain way and all the layers that are in there in an in during an emergency. So I think that was that was a great experience to have too. It must have been so great having like professions in varied fields because you know you're able to do emergency management, broadcasting, work for the private sector. It really gave you a flavor for what meteorologists do. Yeah. I mean just knowing what the emergency management managers need. It's different for the public, but it's also very similar. But it's just, they they go like, okay, I need, in, in the case of wildfires, wind. Wind and if there are going to be any storms. And out of where, like out of the south, northeast, whatever. The public is more like, okay, how is it going to impact me? So it's different. It's different in a way, you know, but it's it's very much linked. Right, the public is asking, do I have to leave my home? Do I have to yeah. take my kids and my pets and my family somewhere? Yep. So Irene, uh, now you're working at Weather and Radar, um, mm-hmm. which I understand is a, is a weather app. Yes. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how that's different from a traditional weather station that's associated with a TV channel and what you do on the job at Weather and Radar? Well, I think it's great to work with a team of scientists. I think that has impacted me and, and I've welcomed the most. Um, the team in, in Miami is small, but the, the app, it's the matrix company, the, the mother companies in Germany. And one, having different cultures. I mean, we have meetings where we have somebody in Serbia, where we have somebody in India, when there's somebody in the UK, and I love it. I love it just because there's so much knowledge out there and not just meteorological knowledge, but just cultural knowledge. So uh, that has been the one of the most gratifying things this year to, to be able to have moved into my new role. Uh, as opposed to, you know, working in a news station where, you know, it's just, it's different. It's totally different. I mean, you have people, yes, you can have people from all different cultures, 
And I've worked in I worked in Houston for two years. I've worked in Miami for several years, forecasting for other stations across the nation and from Dallas, for the West Coast. And it was great to have also that cultural diversity of different places in the U.S. But now it's like really a cultural difference. <laughs> so it's 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 really really cool. As far as the job itself. Working for a new station, it's to me, it was exhausting. It was, it, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, you have to be ready to. I've worked in in teams. In the latest latest station that I worked at was um, in WFTV in Orlando, and we had a team. We had at one point we had the largest team in Central Florida of meteorologists. So it was six of us. I mean, not a lot of stations have six meteorologists nowadays. So that that alone, it's great. So I did have that scientific team, but I was doing digital weather. I had already, I guess, retired from TV with my last station. Before that, I worked in, in, in Houston for two years for the Telemundo station there. And it was, I mean, the people in Houston were just, the viewers were so great. I think that that was the biggest difference that I noticed between working in Miami and working in Southeast Texas. Not that the people in Miami are not great, they are great as well, but people are just so much more welcoming. And I think it's because they've had more severe weather, more constant, and it's, it's, a, it's a more diverse city, believe it or not. You have people from a lot more, from a wide variety of countries. Here in Miami, you do, but a lot of them don't stay in Miami for a long time. Um, either they move on and off, back and forth to their country, so they don't really like set roots over here. As in, opposed to Houston, you have a lot of people that just set roots. You, you, maybe a lot of people just come from Central America and they know that that's, that's their home now. So I don't know. I don't know if that makes a difference in people being so warm and, and just kind in Houston. Um, but I also found that in Dallas. So maybe it's a Texas thing. It's a Texas um, Southern hospitality or, you know, kindness. Um, and just having that, that background of working in different cities, it was great. So what is a day like on the job now? So yeah, I mean, working for any TV station, when I worked with a team or when I worked in Houston, when I was the only meteorologist in the station, um, it's tough. I mean, if you're the only meteorologist, you're on call 24-7 and more, <laughs> if, it's, if that's possible. There's a lot of weight in your shoulders. I was lucky to do that when, you know, when I was single and I didn't have like a family with me. So I was able to just bury myself in, at, in work and that was fine. But your priorities start to change. You know, I wanted to get married and have kids. So, so I moved. I moved back to Florida and I was able to do that. I mean, working with the last station that I that I worked with, I knew that I wasn't I want I didn't want to do TV anymore because things are moving so fast within the whole broadcast field that I knew that I needed to jump ship, as they say, sooner than later. Just because I needed to to have that digital experience, I knew that that was where things were moving to. Um, even. In the early 2000s, right after graduation, I mean, I was the first meteorologist in the station where I worked on the weekends here in South Florida that did um, a chat. You know, it wasn't it wasn't through Facebook because Facebook was a little bit of a taboo back then in, in the media. 
I had it, but they didn't have the ability to do chats or anything like that. And I just embraced that so much. And I like that so much because I think that that's what showed me that I could reach my people. I can reach the viewers myself and get feedback right away. And I love that. I love talking to people. I love asking questions, you know, getting feedback and answering or not answering. So I think that's what made me moved into the digital world. And now working with an app, I think that, you know, things are changing. I, I know there's a lot of bash out there as far as like, oh, you know, weather app, it doesn't even tell you anything, but there's a lot of work behind the scenes in weather and radar. I mean, we're constantly tweaking things. We, not us like in the office, but like the, the developers, the, the big time scientists, you know, that do the models and tweak the numbers and, you know, tweak the layers to, to make the clouds show up correctly or the rain show up correctly. Like there's a lot of work that's behind that. And I don't think that that needs to be bashed because that's how a lot of people are getting their information. So that's what we need to work on because the ultimate goal is to keep people safe, to keep people informed so that they make the right choices. So if they're getting it from an app, well, let's improve the app. You know, if they are getting it from the newscast, well, maybe, you know, you need to upgrade your, the way you do the weather segments or do a combination of both, which a lot of TV stations are doing now. So you just have to constantly adjust. So do you work closely with, you know, the customers who subscribe to the app? Is that what an editorial manager does? Or is it something um, that you do like internally for, for staff at the organization? There's a little bit of everything. I mean, I, I write. I write a lot um, articles. I do customer service. I talk to, to, to any, you know, subscribers that may have an issue with their app or perhaps they're not seeing their city, let's say, or, you know, the radar seems to always be jumpy on their city or, or the temperature might be a little bit too warm or a little bit too, too hot and it doesn't really feel correct or, you know, or they want something added or they don't want to see something else. It's, it's a lot of customer service, but it's great because, again, you're getting feedback straight from the viewer, the user in this case. Wow, that sounds awesome. And I'm sure it's a much better work-life balance than working as a broadcast meteorology at a station. Um, yeah. yeah. Easier for you. So working in Florida and in Texas, you must have seen some severe weather. What, what's the most exciting weather event you've experienced? Oh, um, well, in South Florida, when I worked in South Florida, I, we were brushed by, by Isaac, Irene. But it was, I mean, I don't want to diminish any weather event that did cause some sort of damage, but we didn't get a direct hit. That was exciting. I think covering hurricanes in South Florida, like that one time that it, I did that chat back in the day when they didn't have chats, that, that was cool. Like, that was exciting. I love tropical meteorology, so anything that's, you know, hurricane and tropical storm related was great. Um, Matthew, when I worked in WFTV, was, oof, that was hardcore. I mean, the storm didn't make landfall in Florida, as opposed to what a lot of people say, it didn't make landfall. But the eye just brushed over Cape Canaveral and caused major damage and, you know, the erosion too. And that was just, you know, I think we, we went on coverage for a few days and that was such a rush. I mean, that was, that was, and then Dorian, Dorian, oh my God, Dorian, Dorian was just seven days. I, I, I was in Orlando just 
continuous coverage, you know? At one point, it was we knew that it wasn't going to hit Orlando, of course, but you still, you know, you want to keep people informed because people are just looking at these images of this huge storm just sitting there right next door, pretty much. And people don't know that it's just going to be picked up by by a trough or pushed by a front. And, you know, people are just like, okay, that's going to turn any minute now. Well, you know, so it, that was exciting too. And in Texas, in Texas... Oh man, the severe weather. I didn't have the chance to cover any hurricanes in Texas because I was only there for two years and those two years were pretty quiet for Texas. But um, severe weather in Texas is just, oh, that's a whole another ball game. Like that's, I remember those line of storms that would just sweep by and thousands and thousands of lightning strikes. Just, you would see them. I would see them outside. It's, that's incredible. I mean, that's, I don't know if that, that doesn't compare to, to, you know, tracking a, or chasing a tornado or anything like that, but it's just, it's amazing, like, to, to have different experiences, you know? Well, just the lightning storms alone, I, I'm terrified of lightning personally, <laughs> so that, oh, that's man. scary enough for me. <laughs> I'm telling you, then spring and fall in Texas, it's, it would be crazy for you because, just just lines, just a simple, quote-unquote, line of storms. I mean, they would develop thousands of lightning strikes in, in minutes. Ugh. So it's like, whoa, like, you know. I'd be, um, I'd be hiding. I'd be hiding. Yeah. Oh, and, and hail. I was going to ask you about hail. Do they, is, is that like a big thing in Texas to have like oh, yeah. ginormous size hail? Yeah. I think um, last week I saw a post. Um, Texas had the largest hail recorded in the U.S., I believe, and it was 20 inches wide. Oh, my so, gosh. <laughs> it was two feet. It was two feet wide. Um, around 16 or 20 inches. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be riding your bike during a hailstorm in Texas. No. Not, it'll no. knock you out. <laughs> Literally, yeah. Um, so, I don't know. It's one... I always tend to, to, to gravitate more towards tropical but every time I think about Texas, it's just like the, the flooding. Yes, I did go. It wasn't major flooding as Harvey or any of the recent flooding situations but or events. But flooding, it's, it was huge in Houston. I mean, every time it would rain, it was just like, okay, flooding, boom. You know, and then people just driving their cars or just being stranded. It's just, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. Right. There's no need for tornado chasers to get all the limelight. I think there's plenty of other very exciting <laughs> weather you. events that are just thank as you, comparable. Thank you, thank you, um, we can, we can thank you. We can spread the love around to all the weather phenomena. Thank you. <laughs> I always feel bad talking about my little weather events because then, you know, a chaser comes around and it's like, oh, look at this picture. It's, you know, and you're like, oh, well, I just cover lightning. <laughs> or, or, you know, a hurricane. <laughs> I think they're all important. So, Irene, you've participated in uh, many AMS boards and committees. I know uh, right now, for one, you review uh, Spanish language applicants for the Board of Broadcast Meteorology, and I know you've uh, reviewed with that board on the past for other candidates as well. Tell us about what other boards you've been on and participated in and how those experiences have been for you. Oh, I, I loved, and not because I'm talking to you guys, but <laughs> I love being part of the AMS. And I think that's one of my regrets that I didn't do while I was in college is attend an annual conference 
that perhaps could have changed my career um, somehow, you know. I never went to an AMS annual. I did participate in the local chapter, but I didn't participate in the annual or any other meetings within the big AMS until after graduation. So I think I missed out there a lot. Um, I've participated in the Early Career Professionals Board. I'm still in, in that board. In the Broadcast Board, I did two terms there. I've done maybe my second term is coming up now with the Early Career Professionals. Um, I'm also in the Diversity Cabinet right now. Um, and then in Chala. Chala is the, the, the Committee for Hispanic and Latino Advancements. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so I, it's great. I'm all, I'm all for connections, believe it or not. I mean, I think that my career has been marked. My professional life has been marked by my connections, either from, you know, my high school teacher to John to, to just my colleague right now. It's just everything is, this is a small world. It's weather, meteorology, I mean, Yeah, there. How many? How many members do we have, Kelly? Like ten thousand, right? About about that, ten thousand. About that, right? So, I mean, ten thousand people, but it's really small. Like the people that you get to know in meteorology in the AMS have been so crucial in my development as a professional. Just and now I find myself meeting the future generation, and it's. It's exciting. That part is really, really exciting. So Irene, um, on your website, I noticed you talk about being an advocate for being well-informed about the weather and concerned about the lack of information in Spanish about the weather. And so I just wanted to ask you, how does this um, bilingual weather advocacy, what does it mean to you and how can we help move it forward to a better place? Well, that, that has been, I think... Even though the lack of Spanish-speaking meteorologists helped me in a way because, you know, it gave me a lot of work options, we need more. We still need more. And, and, and there has been a huge increase since 2008, since I graduated. So we're still lacking in there. The, the U.S. has a large, very, very large amount of Spanish-speaking people. And most of them are in big cities. And most of these big cities have, you know, severe weather either storms or tornadoes or, you know, snow, fires, hurricanes. So there needs to be more weather information in Spanish. And in, in Latin America, there has been a little more awareness because big weather events, because of climate change. So in Latin America, the field, I feel like it's growing a little bit more and also having you know, um, social media platforms and just different digital platforms that have connected different scientists, I think, have created more awareness by itself. But it's so important because the wide variety of weather events that we have here in the U.S., they don't exist in Nicaragua, in Honduras, in Venezuela, in Colombia. Like, you know, yeah, you know, in Venezuela, we, we had... Thunderstorms, there was snow in the mountains, but, you know, hey, um, we got brushed by a hurricane back in the day, but that was wind, you know, like people take it like that. Just, oh, well, it's going to rain. Oh, well, it's going to rain. Take your umbrella. You're going to be fine. 
And it's like, well, well, what about lightning? People, you know, there's not this big lightning campaign to, to make sure people are safe. Mexico has a wide variety of weather hazards. And I think that has come a long way in the, in the recent past. But in the U.S., I mean, you have considered you, you, you're having people coming from a whole bunch of other countries that perhaps have never dealt with a tornado. And they're moving to Oklahoma. Go figure, right? Um, that, that somebody that's moving from Bolivia and they're moved to Miami and there's this big hurricane coming. Like, how do I deal with that? Like, what is that even going to do to me, right? So having the information in their language, I think it's critical because there's nothing like receiving information in your comfort zone, which is your comfort language. And having that can create a more sense of calmness and help people be ready and ultimately stay safe. So I think that's the goal. And with Chale right now, with the AMS committee that we're doing solely to like, you know, creating campaigns and working with, you know, the future generation of meteorologists, Spanish-speaking meteorologists, we were trying to do that. I mean, we are trying to, to unite the scientist within the AMS. And even if you're not part of the AMS, like just, you know, try to unite us all so we're all on the same page. Because there's then there's also the term, the fact that, you know, we have different dialects, different slang. People that are from Nicaragua might say things different than somebody that's from Colombia. So that has to be added in the mix too. So it's it's important. It's important to to put things together. And I think that right now we have started to to do a better job in that. And social media and other like digital weather apps are, are those playing a helpful part in personalizing the information you were saying to an audience in, in, in the the language they speak versus something where it's an English you know broadcast on TV. It's just you know flat, can't be altered at all. Um, these weather apps do they have more personalization in them that helps reach an audience in their comfort zone? Yeah, I mean, I think I think my people, I say my people, <laughs> my people I think we're more connected digitally because we need to be in order to keep up with our loved ones overseas or or in other countries, right? So I think we're used to receiving information in our phones. In that aspect, and, and Spanish-speaking people also watch a lot of news because that's something that's very common in our countries too. But I think of, as we have moved into this digital age, we rely a lot more on our phones. I mean, we all do. Yeah. <laughs> we all do. But, I mean, a lot of Hispanics work outdoors, you know? We do a lot of sports outdoors. We, we you know, we... We have we depend on our phones and we're always plugged in our phones. So I think having that information in Spanish readily available and warning you, you know, not just every time you look at it, but getting that push notification in Spanish. I think that marks the difference. So Irene, now that you're established in your career, what what advice would you give students to help them in their job search? You know, what what have you learned um, through your journey? Uh, things will fall into place. And that's not, I'm not saying that as I go become compliant and, you know, just, just take it easy. No, work hard and, and just 
don't worry so much about, you know, I got to do this right now because my, at least that was my personal experience. I, I have to get in, you know, run and get an internship right now because, you know, my life is over or I can't do that extra year of college because, you know, I want to graduate and I want to start paying bills. No, you don't have to. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> Wait one more year. Um And once you're in your early career, just soak it all in, soak it all in, ask questions. I think that's something that, I don't know, when I graduated, I felt like, okay, I graduated. I'm a professional now. I can't ask any more questions. No, you can always ask questions. This is a change in field. This is, this is a science. This is, you know, we're all still learning, believe it or not. I mean, if, if you stop learning, then there's an issue with you. I mean, the, we are always learning in this field and we're learning from each other. And I think that's something that, that needs to be more, I mean, highlighted, just learn from each other, you know, collaborate with each other, bounce off ideas from each other, not just forecast, but life, you know, career-wise, professional-wise, next move-wise, um, I think it helps out a lot to have a mentor. Uh, make sure you get yourself a mentor and don't be afraid of ask questions. Don't be afraid of move if you can, you know, diversify yourself. Try not to just have one job. Try to have something on the side if it's a hobby or if it's a separate gig for extra income. Just, just do it. I mean... It's only going to make you a better professional. It's only going to make you a better human being. At the end of the day, you know, you can change jobs. You can move. Like, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, it's best to be flexible and open-minded. And, yeah. you know. You'll, and remember you'll... that you're never on your own. Right. No, no. I mean, I'm always back in South Florida, you know, and now here I am again. <laughs> my parents live here, so I, I guess I was always like, okay, if it doesn't work out. And my mom used to tell me this. I think that's mom's love too, Right. If it doesn't work out, you know, we live here. You can always come back. Like, <laughs> and, and not everybody has that, that fortune, you know, to have such caring and loving parents as I do still. But but you always have a home somewhere. You know, you, you have a friend somewhere. You have, you know, an aunt, a, a cousin somewhere that, you know, that could be your home base. Well, that's some great advice, Irene. So... Before we end the podcast, we always ask our guests one last fun question unrelated to meteorology. And I want to ask you, what is one of your favorite books? Well, I think it goes very much with what I was just mentioning, with the people, right? The people that you love and perhaps even the people that you might not realize that have left an impression of you. And I'm not going to quote a quantum physics books or anything like that. Like, I'm just going to go simple because with everything that has gone on in life this past two years, like you start to weigh more the, the personal connections that you have. Um, the five people you meet in heaven. Simple book. Simple book. Just, you know, um, short book that it just makes you think about all the connections that you have in life. And even the connections that you might not think left a big impression in your life. The book just tells a story about, you know, a guy that wore, it's a noble. It's a noble that, you know, the, the guy worked in a, in a circus, I think it was. And just, he dies and he goes to heaven and he meets five people. Five people that left uh, an impression in his life or uh, a lesson in his life. 
And some of these people, he didn't even remember, you know, he didn't even realize that, wow, like you did this for me or you taught me this. And I think in this field, it's important to, to realize that. And even if you don't, Realize the people that have pushed you to do things, perhaps that were out of your comfort zone and you were just reluctant to do it or, or mad about it or, oh man, why, you know, why did you treat me that way? Or, you know, just at the end of the day, you learn a lesson and at the end of the day, you become stronger. And I'm not saying, oh, you know, thank them because, you know, they made you stronger. Like, no, there are people that, you know, shouldn't do certain things. But <laughs> at the end of the day, like, you you have to get a lesson out of that. And that's what's important. Yeah, I mean, listen, Irene, we don't need quantum physics all the time. Sometimes we just need thank to, you. you know, sit down and, and, <laughs> and think, about, uh, think about other people. So uh, thanks so much for telling us about that book. And thank you so much for joining us and sharing your work experiences and all your enthusiasm and your journey with us. No, thank you. Thank you for listening. Well, that's our show for today. Please join us next time. Rain or shine. Clear Skies Ahead, Conversations About Careers in Meteorology and Beyond is a podcast by the American Meteorological Society. Our show is produced by Brandon Kroos and edited by Peter Trepke. Our theme music is composed and performed by Steve Savoy, and the show is hosted by Rex Horner and Kelly Savoy. You can learn more about the show online at www.ametsoc.org slash clear skies and can contact us at skypodcast at ametsoc.org if you have any feedback or if you would like to become a future guest. 